episode 47 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson, and today's guest is Zelia Edgar of justanothertinfoilhat.com, a site dedicated to all things unusual, perfect for our discussion today. And Zelia and I go down a road. Well, we go to a place, a place where there was a murder, and a white lodge and a black lodge and a midget. We're going to the world of Twin Peaks because I think it's important. And I'll tell you why. But first, our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. That's E-R-Y-N. Go on to Etsy. Time is running short. Whatever you celebrate, it's the holiday season. And you need to look at the drums, the rattles, the smudge fans, these alchemy sound devices. Museum quality, I'm not kidding. It's a sale every day around here, so get it while it's getting good at the shop Feral by Aaron etsy.com all right next up zelia edgar i'll tell you more about her in a moment we'll be right back all right our guest today is zelia edgar of just another and as i previously mentioned she talks about all things strange and unusual and Almost has a photographic memory, extremely well-read researcher. And it was a privilege to talk to her. But we had to go someplace, and we had to go to the world of Twin Peaks. I have been looking for someone, a compatriot, that loved this show, but also used a TV show as a research tool. And I got to tell you that that's exactly what I've been privately doing. Of course, the tagline at the end here is in reference to a particular lyric uh, sung out of the show. I will see you in the trees. And uh, it has been a wealth of knowledge. Living in the Pacific Northwest, this show takes primarily takes place in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, only about two hours from my back door. And within this world, created primarily by David Lynch, and his use of transcendental meditation and the writer, Mark Frost, there was, well, a mystery afoot. Not only a mystery, but a, uh, a Sherlock Holmes-type character played by Dale Cooper, our, our lead hero throughout the show. But within the premise of a murder and a hero, there is all of this incredible symbolism So we are going to talk about the symbolism as a substance, a substance in which maybe something more was going on than imagination. I believe that totally to be true. So this is for the fan and maybe the new recruits out there. So without further ado, I take you into the world of Twin Peaks and I do it with our guest, Zelia Edgar. Are we in communication, Zelia? Yep, here I am. There she is. Okay. With a name like that, just another tinfoil hat, you're a perfect guest for the show. And so here we are. And I thank you for coming on. How are you today? Oh, really good. Thank you. And yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, so you've got a lot to share just based upon what I've learned from listening to a couple interviews you've been on, checking out your YouTube page, 
And um, you are an artist too. You're a verbal artist. You're also uh, very creative with the digital medium. And you look at your YouTube videos as kind of like a, a paint palette too. You're, you're very good at production value. So I imagine you think about those kind of things uh, as being, you know, effective delivery methods when talking about the subject matters you care about, the paranormal, the occult, supernatural things like the Mothman prophecy. So tell us a little bit about your background. Boy, well, um, I guess I've always had an interest in kind of weirder stuff, um, which I guess the paranormal is considered weirder, I suppose. And yeah, I've been just interested in it forever. And then when I was still pretty young, like eight or nine, I really started studying it and the rest is kind of history. So I started in a very kind of, you know, flesh and blood cryptozoological aspect, and then kind of moved into UFOs and ghosts and all that stuff. And when I was 17, I read the Mothman prophecies and that just entirely changed my outlook on all of this. So currently my focus is really on cases that are kind of more high strangeness, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of blurred the lines between these different, you know, what we perceive as different fields of investigation. So kind of in hopes of finding some sort of unified field theory for mm -hmm. the paranormal. And now, did you grow up with anything that brought you to this here? I mean, one of the ideas, of course, is when you're looking into something, it's looking into you. Um, did you have experiences or did your family have experiences which brought you here? See, that's always kind of a weird question because um, when I think about it, you know, yeah, I guess my family um, and then myself personally, we've all had experiences with things that, you know, I can't explain that would you would determine to be paranormal experiences. Um, but the weird thing is, is that I never really feel like that's what drove me into this. Um, and actually, when I think about it, you know, it almost like you just think, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You know, my grandma lived in a haunted house for a while. People had experiences there. You know, I've seen several different UFOs, things that you would call UFOs. But it really doesn't seem that weird until you take a step back and see, okay, yeah, that's actually quite a few instances where I've experienced something or someone I know has experienced something. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, I wouldn't say anything in particular really drove me to this unless maybe it did and I just, you know, don't realize it. <laughs> right. Well, if you go to her YouTube site, which everyone should subscribe uh, to her YouTube site, Just Another Tinfoil Hat. You have an episode on there, and our logo and moniker is the uh, Pineal Sasquatch profile on our radio show here. So we believe there is a, a conundrum with just the physical answer behind Sasquatch. Uh, you have a oh, video yeah. on there called Bigfoot or Sasquatch and Green Font, and you mentioned mm -hmm. that your mother one of her first questions to newcomers is what do they think of the Patterson-Gimlin film? That's a pretty interesting question just to ask at the dinner table. Is that something that she does just to see, you know, what the manner of metal is to the new guest? Or that's, that's an interesting thing just to ask. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because to me it's just totally normal. But she actually um, definitely was an influence when I first started getting into this stuff. She was like, oh, well with this it's Bigfoot you know and she like mm -hmm. thought it was really interesting and um yeah so it's just kind of normal for me but um yeah no it is it's interesting to see the responses you get you know most people it's like what's that right you know and so then of course okay you break out the laptop well this is it 
And this is all the reasons why it has to be footage of something, you know, real as to what real exactly means, of course, that's kind of another question. Mm -hmm. um, and then every now and again, you'll get people, oh, that was disproven. And then it's, well, actually, no, it wasn't. So, um, but yeah, no, she uh, kind of unofficially researches this stuff too, mm -hmm. but yeah. Now, when someone disagrees with her, does she just let it go or does she hold her own and try to sell them on the, on the proof? Well, I don't know how much you're into astrology, but she's like a triple Sagittarius, so she kind of sticks to her guns. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. All right, and so do you? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where I do recognize, because, again, my thing is, you know, if I ever meet someone new, eventually, at some point in the conversation, it's, have you ever seen a UFO? Mm -hmm. um, so, or, you know, a ghost or anything like that, just because, like, this interest in the paranormal is a big part of my life. And it's almost a disclaimer, like, hey, you're getting to know me. I like this stuff, you know. So, um, yeah, I do, too, I would say. And, again, too, it's just it is interesting to see the kind of mixed responses you get. Because a lot of people I've met, too, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I had this one thing. I don't know what it was. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't believe in this stuff, but there was this one thing. And then, of course, you'll get a lot of people who kind of just laugh it off. But, and I do. I understand that all of this is considered more fringe, but. You know, I think that's part of what's exciting. It's kind of bringing it to the mainstream. Well, yeah, and you would agree that uh, if you sit around long enough, everybody generally has a story to tell. They may not know it, they may not remember it, but eventually, if you sit in that room, uh, you will hear an encounter or an account of some kind. Oh, yeah, definitely. I do feel like it's to the point where more people than you know, not actually have had an experience of some sort with something that they can't explain. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you uh, are an active investigator uh, at this point, and you are looking into cases near and dear. Where, what state are you out of, by the way? Wisconsin. I thought I heard of Wisconsin. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, I've got a couple. <laughs> Definitely of a weird state from Wisconsin. And there's some stuff yeah. going on in Wisconsin. You've got a lot of water around you, a lot of habitat for things like Bigfoot. Uh, do you follow up on any okay. active cases in your own backyard? Um, I try to kind of keep a lookout. Um, currently, I'm really on the research angle of things, but I'm trying to move into more, you know, active investigation. Um, mm -hmm. I was affiliated. I was a field investigator with MUFON for a while. So I did, you know, the typical calling up witnesses, uh, talking about UFO sightings. Mm -hmm. So, and that was cool. Um, but yeah, definitely, I want to start getting into like the more active, like investigating role. Coming now, up here. did you find any marriage between a UFO sighting and some Bigfoot sightings? I do definitely see that pattern in my research. Um, I never dealt with any cases personally, though. I did hear it was one of those things that you always kind of heard about, you know, kind of on the outside of mm -hmm. um, what I was investigating. Um, so I know there were a few reports um, that seemed to tie Bigfoot and UFOs um, or other cryptids and UFOs, but unfortunately, I never was given the case. So, Okay. Right. Are there uh, a lot of cases out that way as far as UFOs are concerned? Was your day packed if you would have so allowed it with phone calls to people seeing shiny objects in the sky? It really depended um, just on the week. It was weird. You know, you'd go through a couple of weeks with like pretty much nothing. And then all of a sudden it would be like two or three days with like four reports. So I do, Wisconsin is like fairly active. Um, 
as far as all of this weirdness goes. So I think we are a little bit higher on the list for like UFO sightings and stuff like that. And the proximity of the Great Lakes definitely is, I feel, um, a reason for that. Well, okay, let's let's go there. Why? Um, UFOs are um, often tied to bodies of water. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ivan T. Sanderson. Um, and his book, Invisible Residence, really kind of was one of the forerunners to look into that connection. Um, it's kind of a subset of the UFO phenomena of US, those are unidentified submerged objects. And it's really interesting once you get into the possible like crypto terrestrial theory um, that there are potentially, and again, this is all potential. I mean, I'm not staking a claim and belief on any one of them just because the truth is I don't know. Um, but as far as crypto terrestrials are concerned, the idea of the notion that we might share this planet with other advanced races um, or species that we have really limited knowledge of, um, Sanderson pointed out that most likely they would exist probably underwater. And it's really interesting when you start looking into these UFO sightings where there's a flying saucer, for lack of a better term, in the sky that drops right into a lake or the ocean or you know, even rivers. So there is definitely a connection there, I would say. The relationship between Ivan T. Sanderson and John Keel, is that an established communication? Do you know if they were working on projects together? Oh yeah, they were definitely very close friends and colleagues, I would say. Um, it's interesting when you read um, their works from around the same time, because, you know, Keel was definitely going into the super spectrum idea and the ultra terrestrials, the notion that there are things just outside of our, you know, current electromagnetic spectrum. Mm -hmm. And Ivan T. Sanderson, I think, came around to that every now and again, but he was, you know, as a biologist, he was really interested in, you know, the cryptoterrestrials and the possibility of all of that sort of thing. So, but right. yeah, that was, that connection was definitely there. And they collaborated a lot. I know there's like tons of correspondence between them. It's neat. You just go through either one of their books and usually a couple times the other one is mentioned. It's really cool. Oh, wow. Is there, do you know if there's any existing video of those two or film of those two uh, together? That I'm not sure about. Um, I think, I know that they both investigated Flatwoods, but I'm not sure if it was like at the same time or not. I know there is like mm -hmm. There's some really, really great audio of Ivan T. Sanderson talking to the witnesses mm -hmm. um, of the Flatwoods monster, but I'm not sure if Keel was there at the same time or not. Right. Um, the Flatwoods monster, remind people about that case. I know that there was a recent documentary from Small Town Monsters on it, but the rest of the audience doesn't really know, so clue people in on what that is. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, the Flatwoods monster, it's it's a really interesting case because, and again, my thing kind of is like outlier cases, you know, ones that are really weird. And my absolute favorite thing is when a classic kind of ends up being more of an outlier. And I believe that's the case with the Flatwoods monster. Um, it's really well known in pop culture. It was like this robotic sort of entity, um, about six feet tall with the ace of spades type hood or helmet around it that was observed in Flatwoods in, I should have the year memorized, but I can't remember exactly what it was right now. Um, and it was observed by seven, seven to eight people um, all at the same time in conjunction with the UFO sighting. And it's just a really interesting case because of the fact that um, it was described as being metallic or robotic in nature. 
And the weirdest thing about this is that that's exactly what we should be expecting from UFOs. You know, if they are indeed extraterrestrials from another planet, mm-hmm. um, the very first thing we should expect would be kind of rovers or drones or robots or things like that. Mm-hmm. When usually when people see UFO occupants, they see, appear to be biological and they seem to often have no type of protective covering or hazmat suit or space suit or anything like that. That's a whole king caboodle of other stuff that you could get into with that. Um, but with the Flatwoods monster, it is exactly what should be anticipated in the form of this robotic metallic entity. So, yeah, and that was two after that. There were tons of sightings in the area of um, other UFOs. Uh, other people saw like this lizard sort of creature that actually stalled their car. The men in black showed up to one of the key witnesses' households after the fact. It was amazing. There was also... Um, well, wait a uh, second, Let's go back thing. to this, uh, the lizard thing, stalling out mm-hmm. someone's car. This is something that comes up. One of the first uh, witnesses I talked to regarding Sasquatch behavior was uh, an author by the name Henry Franzoni that said a Sasquatch blew out a starter, which didn't seem like a yeah. physical attribute of uh, an ultra-terrestrial or a crypto-terrestrial, whatever we're going to call this. What's, yeah. Do you know the details surrounding this lizard? hurting a car yeah it was um a tall humanoid you know like sightings of the lizard man and i know it's kind of a silly name but those you know come up every now and again and they are you know closely tied to people claiming sightings of reptilians with ufo encounters and so i think in the week that followed the you know the big flatwoods monster sighting a couple was driving and their car shorted out and nearby there was this humanoid reptilian lizard man entity. Um, and yeah, you'll see this a lot too. I know there's a really um, famous case from Marlington, West Virginia that was covered in Keel's book, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, mm-hmm. um, where this guy's car stalled and he looked to the side of the road and saw Bigfoot. And he was actually following some people, so they realized that you know he was no longer following them. Came around to see what happened. The Bigfoot ran away, his car started up, continues on his way and some miles down the road his car shorts out again he looks to the side of the road and there's the bigfoot again so you'll see this time and time again um with cryptids and then of course you know ufos and ghosts for some reason we can accept that there are electromagnetic field disturbances involved with them um but when it comes to cryptids it's a little bit harder for people to accept i feel even within the field of the paranormal um, so but there is a definite is, connection. What do you think this connection is between EMF disturbances and cryptids? What do you think this is, uh, uh, you know, just by a, what, however they have to exist within this plane here? Is, is it part of the, you know, disturbance of this energy scattering out? How do you explain it? I do feel like um, it might be like similar to how, okay, ghosts, you know. And this is all tied in with Keel's theory of the ultraterrestrials and the super spectrum. Um, the idea is that they need some sort of electrical charge to manifest um, in this plane of existence. And if we take that a step further to say that they exist just outside of our visible spectrum of light, um, maybe they need this charge to you know, appear or manifest in this spectrum of light. And it may be the exact same manner with cryptids. It could be that you know, some or all of them exist just slightly outside the boundaries um, of what is considered our spectrum, our electromagnetic field. Mm-hmm. And so when they do manifest, maybe they need to take a charge, or maybe, yes, they do emit a charge. Mm-hmm. You know, in one way or another, it would affect um, things nearby. 
It would be interesting too, you know, because people use EMF detectors all the time when they're looking for ghosts. Um, people use them too, looking for UFOs or UFO hunting or whatever. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting if like they started taking them to Bigfoot expeditions and seeing if they spiked at like different times or stuff like that. Right. And that's, uh, that's something that we certainly do because uh, it yeah. feels incredibly connected. You know, this cocktail party of supernatural is, uh, seems all interwoven like a web. And uh, I strongly okay. suggest people do that as part of their regimen. If they're going to bring their toys, do you have toys like that yourself? Um, I have a pretty simple EMF detector, um, just a classic compass to uh, nothing fancy, good camera. That's pretty much it. And a flashlight, of course. <laughs> so what has Zelia caught with her toys? What kind of, have you caught audio, video, measured interesting stuff? I have gotten anomalous readings um, on my EMF detector. It was... It was kind of weird. The house that I live in is actually, um, it's pretty old. It's a Victorian Gothic revival house that was built in the 1860s. And we've had, you know, strange occurrences here. Um, I'm always hesitant to label things as ghosts, but I guess that's probably what people would call it. Um, just a few sightings of apparitions, uh, you know, misplaced voices, footsteps, stuff like that. And so, of course, I break out my EMF detector every now and again. And... Mm -hmm. Usually there's nothing, but then every now and again, there'll be just like this one anomalous spot of EMF that spikes in various places throughout the house. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't pin it down. Of course, I've nailed down where all of the appliances are and the electrical floors and stuff like that. Um, and then just as soon as it's there, it's gone. What about dreams? Have your dreams changed at all in that house? Have you had uh, interesting dreams that seem layered or, you know, prophetic? Boy, that is an interesting question. Um, so I do, I've always had exceptionally like clear dreams, I would say. Um, and I've been able to recall them very well as well. Um, but definitely, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's like, um, my family will sometimes all have the same, like not the same dream, but you know, a similar aspect across everyone's dreams, the same night, stuff like that. Um, I've had a few instances where I've had, I guess, what you would call prophetic dreams, but of course it's nothing of any importance. It's usually just like kind of a random scene that I'll see the very next day or the next week or something like that. Um, but that's kind of been with me my whole life. So I'm not sure if the house is fault or not. Right, but in your dreams, you don't have these ghosts for lack of a better term. You don't have them visiting you in your dreams. Nothing like that. They're there was one dream that was a little weird um, where, I don't know, it was almost like I was, well, seeing this is another thing, I had this, um, for lack of a better word, it was kind of like a memory download um, while I was awake, where I was just, you know, I was sitting doing, like reading a book or something, and then all of a sudden it just like, you know, like a memory that was not mine, kind of was just like there, you know, and I was thinking about it as though I was um, this other person who I think probably was the guy who owned our house and everything. It was like really clear. It's really hard to explain because it's just exactly like it was my memory, but it wasn't mine. It was, um, him discussing a business deal with something. And so I had a dream kind of similarly to that effect. Um, sometime after that, I would say probably six months, a year after that, but it was nothing like, you know, nothing, nothing 
earth shattering or groundbreaking or anything like that. It was just kind of a simple, like, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the daily goings ons. So, right. right. Mm-hmm. So are you the only one experiencing this? Um, my sisters and mom have both experienced things. Um, my youngest sister, actually Chloe, um, when she was younger, used to hear, uh, a male voice in the house quite a bit, but then as she got older, it kind of uh, quit happening. And then my mom actually, it was really weird. She was able to kind of confirm an apparition sighting that I had because while I was downstairs and I saw this, what I thought was actually my mom coming down the steps, this was some years ago, um, reflected in this mirror that reflected the staircase. Mm -hmm. Um, At that exact same time, she thought that one of us went upstairs and opened her bedroom door. So yeah, it's kind of been, mm-hmm. again, it's very off and on. It's not like, you know, your classic haunted house where it's like every day, you know, chains rattling and, you know, voices right. and stuff like that. It's just every now and again, it's almost like it kind of happens in spurts, um, right. you know, where a bunch of stuff will happen, there'll be a flurry of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, it'll be months where nothing happens. So even though there have been recently, the thing is uh, my youngest sister, Chloe, is often home alone. And she'll swear that she hears us come home. It was actually to the point once where I was at the store with my mom. And she called us saying that some, she thought someone had broken into the house. Now, why she didn't call the police, I don't know why. But, um, you know, she said that there was someone in the house. And so she, you know, wanted us to get home. And we got home and there was just, you know, nothing out of place. No one was there. But she was sure that she heard someone moving around downstairs in the kitchen. And so that's a really common occurrence. But what about uh hearing your name do you guys ever hear your names called out by something that's not your it sounds as though it's mimicking something um yeah that's a pretty common occurrence again it's you know nothing like every time like every day or anything like that but Mm -hmm. you know every couple of months it'll be like just a week where you know all of a sudden we're all like okay did you just call my name we're all like no Mm -hmm. nope i didn't so and so for Zillia's dollar, what's the most interesting case out there? Which one uh, do you just find yourself going back to? Or, you know, uh, activity or cryptid, what really gets you going? That is really a difficult question, but I would probably have to say it's the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Um, and a huge part of that is just because, I mean, Keel's coverage of all of those events was just amazing. Um, and there's so much more than even, even his book, which is like the most comprehensive account of the Mothman, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't even cover everything because you have his journals and his correspondences and, um, you know, material was actually taken out of the Mothman prophecies to make the eighth tower, which is another amazing book. So, yeah, I would say probably, <clears throat> excuse me, the Mothman prophecies, you know, that book and then the Mothman of Point Pleasant is like the most interesting case for me. And so is this an uh, is this ongoing activity in Point Pleasant? I know that they have their annual festival there, which have mm-hmm. you been to the festival? Not yet, but I am planning on going this upcoming year. So okay. I'm Are really still, excited about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to go too. Are they still having activity there? There's still reports? Um, I believe every now and again something will happen. Um, but that whole area has had just, you know, such a long history of general weirdness um that that kind of is just continuing through this you know even i guess you could say in spite of the mothman Mm -hmm. that was just kind of almost a culminating point but 
just one of many, it seems to be. Right. Now, can you go back through the historical ledgers to, you know, newspaper clippings or oral traditions of natives that lived out there about this winged creature? And let's remind people, too, that this is a rather large cryptid with very abnormally short wings, right? This is not supposed mm -hmm. to happen. Oh, yeah. This is something just physical, right? It shouldn't be able to have flight, at least for the the kind of flight that these witnesses describe, but does it, can we go back and find history of this particular cryptid in that area? Um, as far as I know, I think there might be a few accounts um, in like, yeah, the Native American oral traditions um, of something like that. But as far as like an actual like history of recurring sightings of the Mothman, it seems like it really was concentrated just in that 13 months before the Silver Bridge collapse. Mm -hmm. um, and the weird history of the area definitely has more to do, I feel, with like hauntings and UFOs um, and your typical scattering of like uh, lake monsters and river monsters and stuff like that. Bigfoot is another one that's um, appeared very often there, as far as I remember. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the UFO presence in that area is really strong. And of course, in legends, it wasn't phrased as UFOs because that's kind of just our modern terminology for it. Right. Now... Um, going into the story of Point Pleasant, you can't help but talk about the Silver Bridge collapse, but why was the Mothman so linked to the bridge collapse? What was it about its appearance that linked it all together? I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. See, it's one of those, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg scenario, I feel, because um, a lot of people you know, it almost superstitiously blame the Mothman for the bridge collapse. They say that it somehow caused it or, you know, it brought, apparently there were sightings of um, strange men on the bridge before it collapsed. And so some people claim that, it, you know, brought this kind of upon that area. It's kind of my running theory. Um, and it's a little weird, so, you know, just hear me out on this. Um, but it's kind of my running theory that Mothman might be some sort of manifestation of mankind's latent ability to kind of read the future. Um, I mean, there's lots of evidence for the fact that we can sort of predict what's coming, not with like any genuine clarity, but with, you know, some pretty clear trends. And um, what if the Mothman is kind of this like cultural manifestation, this cultural thought form that does predict disasters? I mean, you can see very similar iconography across many different world cultures. The Banshee is like a really good example of that. Um, this belief that things can kind of become omens. And that doesn't mean then that the Mothman caused it. It just means that it was there for it, if that makes sense. Right, you're seeing that it's a harbinger, a tulpa that was created to kind of represent man's greatest fear, this latent ability that they have. Yeah, that's kind of my running theory on it, I would say. Okay. So that it would stand to reason that maybe this would happen in other cases, like uh, the World Trade Center is collapsing, mm -hmm. things like that. Do you know if there's any cases of there being cryptid seen before something as magnificent and crazed and awful as that? I, I've never heard of stories linking that to, you know, the World Trade there Center were, in particular. Um, I can't remember exactly where it happened, but on the day on 9/11, there was um, there were sightings of uh, black panthers. Um, actually. Really? And I think it was, yeah, I can't okay. remember, again, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think it was at least within the state. 
um, or somewhere nearby. Um, black Panthers, and I believe, I believe a sighting of a black dog. But see, and that's the thing too with this is kind of, you know, yeah, why does it manifest in certain situations, but not in others or not mm -hmm. in all? Um, and then you have cases too, like uh, the Van Meter Visitor, um, which appeared in this tiny town of Van Meter, Iowa in 1903, was very similar to the Mothman in how it looked and how it behaved. There were um, attendant UFO sightings, a case of uh, a lapse in memory as well, lots of high strangeness. And there was really no massive tragedy that occurred in Van Meter, you know, near or around that time. It just kind of vanished. Mm -hmm. um, so it could just be too, I mean, considering that the future really isn't set, it's kind of just constantly forming. It's all probability. So, I mean, sometimes these things might show up and there's nothing then, you know, actually happening. And then other times something will happen and they didn't show up at all. Out of all the cases you've looked at, what one raises the most red flags? Which one are you concerned that is actually not true, that there's something else going on that uh, raises red flags for you? Hmm. Boy, that's, I tend to try and like rule those out right away, um, actually. <laughs> Well, for example, because, a lot of people look yeah. at something like Roswell and saying, well, mm -hmm. you know, we've had enough, we've heard enough about Roswell, first of all, it's a, it's a blown up issue and we've, we've all heard mm -hmm. enough about it, but that there's some real red flags there too. I, I know, you know, oddly enough, there's a, a place out near here called Maury Island where people believe that uh, Roswell was basically a, a government setup job. To play yeah. a cat and mouse game away from, from the real incident, which happened out here in Washington State. But um, as far as it relates to red flags for you, is there anything that people would be surprised what you think? Hmm. That's a good question. Mm. Um, or even for a while, there's, if, you, if yeah. there's a particular cryptid that you think is, eh, that can't be. Boy. Yeah, like I said, I tend to just kind of avoid them. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, well, what about I suppose, something like a dogman? Do you have uh, questions about that? Do you put that in the believability box? I do. Um, I actually, I researched uh, the man-wolf and dogman phenomenon really extensively when I was younger because um, Linda Godfrey is also from Wisconsin. I actually mm. went to one of her book signings when I was 10 and it just completely changed you know, my life because there's someone researching this stuff who's like, you know, an adult and, you know, actually making a life out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the man, wolf and dog man, I, I do think that that is something worth looking into. And again, that's something where most likely in many of these cases, we can't really just chalk it up to being an animal, you know, our corporeal flesh and blood creature. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, maybe something more like a tulpa or thought form or ultra terrestrial. Um, right. And again, there are some cases, too, within that where it does appear to be just a creature, but there are so many others where, you know, vanishing or suddenly appearing or glow-in-the-dark man-wolves, that's another one. Um, all of these things we can't really just chalk up to it being an animal. No, and one of the but, things you mentioned, too, in your, um, when I heard you on a podcast, um, or it could have been one of your YouTube channels, um, you were mentioning that John Keel through the kitchen sink at the phenomena and the ultra terrestrial phenomena is basically, mm -hmm. basically explaining everything yeah. uh, as one phenomena. And you have an issue to take with that. Why is that? 
I do think that there is room um, for different explanations. Like just because potentially there is, I think there's a strong potential for, you know, this super spectrum idea to explain a lot of paranormal sightings. Um, at the same time, however, I think there are enough outliers from that that we do need to account for, okay, there might be, you know, flesh and blood creatures that are undiscovered. I mean, of course there are creatures that are undiscovered. Um, and some of them might account for these sightings of like Bigfoot or yeah, maybe there is, you know, something like the man wolf that is just a natural creature, a natural phenomenon. Right. Um, and with extraterrestrials too, there is just, there's so much of a probability that there is life in the universe. I mean, it's pretty much a fact. Um, and so the fact then that it could evolve into something as intelligent or likely more intelligent than we are is just, it kind of has to be accepted in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is enough room, you know, in the paranormal for all of these different things to exist. And that not like, not any one um, explanation can really do away with all of them. Mm -hmm. What is your current opinion about the state of disclosure when it comes to unidentified aerial phenomena, everything transpiring from the New York times article to local news not playing the sound of x-files music every time they have you know what i'm talking about here they're taking it oh, more yeah. serious so what what do you yeah. think is going on of course i'd love to be hopeful um but truthfully i don't know i am incredibly cynical and just kind of worried that it's going to be one more cover i mean everything kind of seems to flip-flop every now and again and it just seems really interesting to me that you know all of a sudden it's all kind of shifting um, and then, of course, there are some people who are saying that, you know, the plan has been all along that they're going to disclose all the evidence after the American public or, you know, the worldwide public is prepared for it through movies and TV and stuff like that. And, you know, mm -hmm. that might be true. Um, I don't know. I'm not placing any bets on them actually releasing everything. <laughs> all right. Well, I feel like you and I are avoiding a topic here that I very much want to get into. It's a topic that we uh, discussed off the air here. And we're going to go to the lodge after this break. And in particular, we are going to the Black Lodge and visiting the White Lodge. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, you'll find out. We'll be right back with Zelia Edgar. This year, make it a feral by Aaron Christmas or Yule. Imagine above the hearth an empty sock. Stick a feral by Aaron rattle inside that baby. Underneath the tree, what do I do? I don't know. He or she loves interesting alchemy sound tools. Oh my gosh. Get an elk hide drum or a bear skin drum or deer skin drum. Or if you have a Christmas spirit that lingers, and it's this time to shuffle off to Buffalo. You may want to look at smudge fans. Feral by Aaron has beautiful, crafted, museum quality, and I mean that, alchemy sound tools. That's at feralbyaaron at etsy.com. So hang up a piece of mistletoe, get online, and make Feral by Aaron your one-stop shop. Strange Brow Radio wishes you and all your family a happy holiday beautiful Yule, and a Merry Christmas. We're back with Zelia Edgar, and before we went to break, I had mentioned that we were going someplace 
elsewhere, a world that I was ultimately very familiar with and many of my friends, we would find various ways to plan whole evenings, if not 24 to 48 hours dedicated to one show. And that shows Twin Peaks living right outside of it, about an hour away from North Bend, Washington. Um, I should have been there several times by now, but actually I haven't ventured there since probably the middle of the 90s. So it's time for a revival. And I've been waiting for a fan. And I think, Zelia, you're that fan. And I think this is uh, going to be a good part of the podcast. So the first place I want to go is... How did you find out about the show and how big of a fan are you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I told you off the air, Twin Peaks changed my life. Like I had never seen anything like it um, when I started watching it. And actually my mom was a fan back when it first aired. And so, you know, we had just, I think we had just finished some series. I can't remember what it was. And so we we're all, it may have been Fargo, the TV rendition of Fargo, I think. I don't know if we finished season two or season one or what it was. Um, and so we were all like trying to find you know something else to watch. And she was like, oh, well, let's try this. And so we started up Twin Peaks and it was just like totally blew my mind. So yeah, I'm a pretty massive fan. <laughs> okay. So how massive of a fan? Like, do you have dialogue memorized? Um, bits and pieces, bits mm -hmm. and pieces. Yeah. Okay, so but you definitely know episodes because what I plan here for the however long we can do this is we're going to not go chronically down every episode, although that yeah. would be a good podcast. I mean, we could probably, that would be awesome. we'd probably need a couple more peakers on board with us. Yeah. But here's the deal, folks, is that um, I've mentioned this before to Timothy Renner, and he absolutely will not listen to me, that the plaid man phenomena is a topa of sorts based upon whatever Mark Frost and David Lynch are into, because those are the directors and the writers of Twin Peaks. Mainly, I think the mind of Mark Frost, who must be into some really heavy esoteric symbolism and magic, magic with a K perhaps. And yeah. so I, uh, I, I may blame, if that's the right word, Mark Frost for a lot of this, but then again, you have transcendental meditator David Lynch, right? I mean, he is super into what the subconscious mind is into and these open-ended questions. So oh, yeah. um, there, I, people are looking into the phenomena of Twin Peaks and don't even know it. For example, the idea that the owls are not what they seem. Um, let's start there. That's a big one for me. Uh, I had no idea how significant those lines would be in this look and well first of all the the mothman might as well be called the owl man it, most of the yeah. attributes of what i see there is a giant owl um with you know shortened feathers with maybe minus the beak but um let's talk about owls and, and the world of twin peaks you you go first <laughs> that actually completely freaked me out because when i I can't remember exactly how many years ago it was that I started Twin Peaks, um, but it was roughly the same time that I was getting really into UFO investigation and specifically alien abduction research. And so pretty much simultaneously, I'm watching Twin Peaks with the classic line, the owls are not what they seem, and then reading Bud Hopkins' Missing Time, which of course brings up the um, 
memories of the owls and other assorted creatures, but the owls are definitely at the forefront of these screen memories um, of abductees for their captors. And so that was just like synchronistic almost. Um, yeah, that was really something mm -hmm. with that. I think even Whitley Strieber, you know, mentions in mm -hmm. communion, um, having screen memories of sorts or weird occurrences with owls. And yep. um, of course, then there's this whole Watcher series uh, it, that's really caught people by storm. They're incredibly fascinated mm -hmm. by the idea that uh, the owls are some kind of watchers or harbingers here. Um, of course, one of the attributes of Sasquatch is the 800 pound, 800 pound owl phenomena where you don't mm -hmm. know exactly how big this owl is, but it's certainly not just a raptor in a tree. There's something else going yeah. on here. So, you know, the, the idea that Twin Peaks is linked in more ways than a TV show to this phenomenon doesn't just stop and end or start and end with owls. It goes way deeper mm -hmm. into this idea that we live just on the cusp of this veil, this thinning veil that exist and we can't see it and we have to wait for it to unlock or we ourselves have to be unlocked somehow through trial and error let's talk about that phenomenon and how has that affected your research at all and how you think because it certainly has me but i have mm -hmm. nobody to bounce <laughs> bounce this show off of and just say oh my god you know they were talking about you know so you're it zelia i'm sorry i'm i'm nerding out here with you but i think you get it <laughs> Yeah, that is absolutely fine, because I feel exactly the same way. It, um, I think I even mentioned in my ultra-terrestrial video, it's been a while since I made that one, um, but I mentioned that Twin Peaks is, in my opinion, the best like um, portrayal of the ultra-terrestrial or super-spectrum idea in film or TV anywhere, and I completely stand by that, um, just because it does really capture this idea of um, almost like entities as projections and then the question where are these projections coming from and who is projecting them and you see that time and time again in Twin Peaks um, and that's something too that I think you know I do I do feel like Mark Frost is really responsible for like a lot of the story and David Lynch is responsible for a lot of like what the heck was that mm -hmm. and you see that idea across um, some of his other work too this idea of like um, the electromagnetic spectrum makes an appearance in uh, especially season three of Twin Peaks and also in Mulholland Drive, these things appear almost to live inside of it, um, in my opinion. So, but yeah, yeah that definitely, yeah. And, and Firewalk With Me, right? The If anybody mm, yeah. has seen Firewalk With Me, electricity almost is yep. its own character. Yeah, no, that's right. Right, and this gets back to what Tesla was getting into. I mean, you, yeah, there yep. was a certain amount of speculation that electricity was carrying out more things in the beginnings of Wi-Fi, that it was also a link to spirit forms. And so much of what these witnesses are telling me and probably telling you is that uh, they have encounters with some kind of energy being. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's cool that you brought up Tesla too, because I know his um, concept of life almost being transmitted from something received by other things. Um, is a revolutionary way of looking at it. And I feel like that is a really good analogy too for, you know, these projections or these entities, you know, possibly being sent and received. And that comes through a lot in Twin Peaks as well. And one of the lines from 
the star of the show, Dale Cooper, played by Kyle McLaughlin, um, is this quote here, and I think you'll appreciate it. Dale Cooper says, when two separate events collide, we must pay particular attention. Now that's the world of synchronicity. And mm -hmm. this is very difficult to explain to people that don't have paranormal events or synchronistic events happen in their life. But this whole concept of things being made for you, personalized for you to unlock these key events. Um, you see that time and time again in your work? Yeah, actually, it's really weird that you mentioned that because uh, you wanting to do Twin Peaks um, as part of the show today is kind of the result of a synchronicity. I was literally just telling my mom, because um, I was on Steve Ward's podcast, The High Strangeness Factor, and I had just mentioned that the really cool intro reminds me a lot of the Twin Peaks theme song. Um, and then we walked into a half-priced bookstore, and the song that immediately starts playing is the <laughs> Twin Peaks theme song. <laughs> so that was that was literally yesterday. And then I woke up this morning, or yeah, this morning, I think, or maybe it was last night, I can't remember. I got home. Yeah, I got home and saw your Facebook message. Mm -hmm today that's right mm -hmm. i'm sorry my week has been crazy just with the holidays and work and stuff right. um and saw your facebook message and then that was when you know yeah it definitely the synchronicity was like right. right there well let me yeah. add to it because yesterday i shot this the host because i i listened to that podcast before uh, we spoke and i heard the bumper music and i immediately shot him a message and said, nice bumper music reminds me of something. Seriously? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh of, course, of course I did, because that's, I mean, I went right back to that world. When you have that 50s, you know, wailing guitar in the background there, that yeah. is, you know, that is, uh, that's James Hurley, you know, serenading. Yeah, uh, oh my gosh. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, just you, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. If anybody really wants to throw up in their mouth, go download James Hurley singing the song Just You to Maddie Ferguson and uh, you'll feel a little bit of salt come up your throat. It's pretty bad. In fact, he's he one of the He reprised it in season three. <laughs> right, right, oh, right. Man. Yeah. Oh, when that came on, I was like, seriously? Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of suspected it after seeing him, but then it actually happened and I was like, no. Oh, David right. Lynch. And, and the character uh, didn't, uh, the actor who plays the character didn't go on to do great things in life. And there's a reason for that. I'm sure he's a great carpenter, but you know, the, the acting chops weren't happening. We didn't watch yeah. the show for all of the acting chops, by the way, although most of the characters were so well written, so quirky, and oh, it yeah. really captures, right? I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I understand. Mm -hmm how quirky a small town is, especially a lumber town. And I yeah. think David Lynch is from Spokane, Washington, or he lived for a stint in uh, yeah. Spokane, Washington. It seriously affected his artistic palette. This is mm -hmm. a lot of the premises right now. So uh, for that reason, I was caught on to it. Um, I may have been introduced to it late in the game. I actually was not the cool kid in class. Most of the really awesome stuff was introduced to me by a group of Mormons and they they understood cool way better than I did. So it was the Mormons, oh. they drug me into the world of Twin Peaks <laughs> and good music. So I'm internally grateful toward, towards the LDS. <laughs> if you're listening right now. Yeah, I think I have some LDS fans actually. So uh, yeah, bravo. So yeah, okay, oh, okay, let's talk about the um, 
this idea of there being duality, a lodge. Um, there's a character in there uh, called the Log Lady, and her husband is imbued or internalized or is a tulpa, and she carries around this log, which is basically mm -hmm. him in effigy. And she has these cryptic messages, and they're almost like dream type messages. So, for example, you walk into one of the restaurants, which in this case is the, the fabulous R&R &R Diner, and uh, yep. there she'll be sitting with her log and her little uh, wool sweater, and she'll turn to you with her red horn-rimmed glasses and say something cryptic, like a crazy woman would. The only thing with the log lady is that uh, she's a she's a, a seer. She's she's someone that you need to talk to because she's giving you a message you need to hear. You see that in your work. Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, to a certain extent, um, it really reminds me of many of the contactees that Keel was involved with, with the main difference being he definitely, well, I think by the time that he really was enveloped in the paranormal, he was very cynical of it just because of what had happened with mm -hmm. um, the Mothman in Point Pleasant. Because um, he, you know, he became very involved in the lives of those people. And then so many of them just died with the bridge collapse. Right. Um, and that's just that part of the Mothman prophecies is just completely heart wrenching to read just, you know, the statements of who died and um, mm -hmm. all of that. Um, so he became very cynical, I feel, um, mm -hmm. of not of the phenomenon, but of how it kind of plays games with us. Um, however, a lot of the contactees that he dealt with, again, that because I was reading all this stuff simultaneously, it is very log lady-esque and she is very contactee-esque. The main difference being um, in the world of Twin Peaks, her messages tend to make a lot more sense um, in the long run, even though they are incredibly cryptic. Um, whereas theirs seem to make more sense, you know, the contactees, but in reality, usually, you know, the dates were off. That was a huge thing with Keel. He would often get um, prophecies of upcoming assassinations. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was actually one of them, and it was off by several months, um, but it was all the contactee gave him correct information prior to the event, just with a slightly incorrect time or place, and that happened a lot with him. Wow. You know, they talk a lot about um, contactees in Twin Peaks as well. Um, mm -hmm. Bobby Briggs' father, Major Briggs, is a part mm -hmm. of Project yeah. Blue Book, an ongoing program that goes back to where we were before a commercial break with the element of disclosure and these programs mm -hmm. under different names. Um, if you ask me, Mark Frost was trying to give something away to the people that could understand the secret handshake mm -hmm. that was going on. Do you agree with that? I do think that it seems like he was pointing to um, kind of a more unified field theory for the UFO problem. Um, throughout a lot of his work because you can't deny the connections to mm -hmm. you know ufos in twin peaks or even you know any element of the paranormal and the fact that it's pointed out as being all connected to this idea of energy this idea of um projections you know in a larger spectrum so yeah i would agree with that right and for those who doubt this concept that this could be be a prophetic or the part that these gentlemen who are part of you know their own hidden class, their own little hidden cocktail parties that they have, their own hidden secret handshakes. Yeah. Uh, look at the, the similarities between these links of 
what happened on 9-11 and the messages smuggled away in the movie The Matrix. If anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, there are particular scenes throughout episodes of The Simpsons and The Matrix and other cultural phenomena that have absolute connections to what happened on 9-11. I didn't expect to be talking about 9-11 more than yeah. once during the show, but it it's you know a major touchstone in uh, you know human history. But there seems to be a link between directors, uh, writers, uh, mm -hmm. predicting this stuff. Uh, what do you think of that? It's really interesting. I follow um, Lauren Coleman's blog, The Copycat Effect. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they're definitely, it's kind of like the old question of uh, life imitates art. You know, I mean, is this stuff prophetic or is it kind of paving the way in our subconscious um, for these things to be carried out? Um, I don't know, maybe it's a two-way street and it's kind of the past and the future creating each other. Right. I think in The Simpsons, there's even an incredible scene of Donald Trump starting his campaign <laughs> in the escalators. And it is almost verbatim. Uh, drawn out and worded it's it's just incredible and I think that was like shot in the early 90s or something like that so uh, I don't know I don't yeah, know what's going on too has, yeah <laughs> has uh, scenes like that right. yeah right I know some of the stills from that movie it's just kind of jarring yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the Matrix episode that I'm referring to if anybody's curious about what I'm a alluding to, and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Zelia, the scene where Neo, the character, shows his passport, and on mm -hmm. his passport uh, is the date 9-11, and I think there's some connections really? on his passport beyond just the date there that kind of links a time in history, um, and there's some other stuff throughout the Matrix, I think, linked as well, but um, let's talk about the the duality again here um the idea of there being the black and the white the the white lodge and the black lodge i i, I alluded that before we went to break and i, I want to talk about that now this idea of there being the duality of good and evil the yin and the yang how has that affected your work and how do you think that connects to the world of twin peaks i feel like that concept is very like carl jung um you know, and it's this idea that, yeah, every inside everything there is kind of like the dark side, you know, or the alter ego, I suppose. Um, I think he referred to it as the shadow self. Right. And um, it is interesting because I feel like more often than not, if you, you know, you have to acknowledge its existence. Otherwise, you know, it will kind of like sneak up on you and consume you. But also if you try to struggle against it and try to change it, it will also consume you. And you see that in on the end episode of season two um when dale is in the black lodge and he he does end up catching himself but then it's not his proper self who's released from the lodge of course it's um his doppelganger so right the the idea and explain to everybody what a doppelganger is a doppelganger literally is um i believe means a double walker um it's an exact replica of a person or a person's soul, I feel, in um, the world of Twin Peaks. However, in the world of Twin Peaks, um, they are denizens of the Black Lodge. So each doppelganger, I feel, represents the shadow side characteristics um, of the person. And weirdly enough, the thing that tipped it off for me um, for Dale was when he squeezed out all the toothpaste. Sure. Um, because, of course, he just, you know, everything about Dale Cooper was like, you know, perfectly metered. He did things exactly by the book, even though it wasn't anyone else's book, it was his own. And so that scene where he just completely 
loses it on that tube of toothpaste um, before smashing his face into the mirror. It was kind of all of that just tipped on its head. Um, so very interesting. If you can go onto YouTube and type in just another tinfoil hat, you will see Zelia doing a perfect impression of everything she just <laughs> described, except for the toothpaste. But uh, it is what a fan would do. They would humiliate themselves for their art. And she, oh, yeah. She definitely went to that level. Perfect. Thank you. I totally get it. Yeah, I was explaining to you beforehand, one of my early projects as a production design major was to figure out how to speak backwards and play it forward so it made sense. And uh, so oh, I yeah. saw it's you doing it. It's very tricky. And then, you know, the <laughs> actors had to obey David Lynch's crazy commands. And uh, so they, they must have had to learn how to speak backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I actually have a picture of myself with the toothpaste, by the way. So. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. Kyle McLaughlin actually on Instagram, I'll out how incredibly dorky I am. He had a cost Twin Peaks costume contest. And so that was my entry. I got whatever the like equivalent of an honorable mention is. I wasn't his little like, you know, uh, slideshow photos, but um, someone else won who did the, um, the eyeless woman from season three. And that was genuinely oh. an amazing costume so they deserved it oh the um yeah the i'll call her a critter of sorts that yeah. escapes out of what i presume is the black lodge right is that is that was your take is that most of the world that where dale was was the black lodge i feel like most of it was mm -hmm. um i kind of wonder in my opinion her the little sitting room that she came from mm -hmm. i feel like it's kind of almost a foyer into what is outside of the Black Lodge, if that makes okay. sense. Right. Um, kind of like this larger, even more expansive universe. Um, if the Black Lodge is supposed to be some sort of parallel of our own, maybe it's, mm -hmm. you know, whatever is producing that parallel, just part of a larger whole. So. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to not want to just investigate these hot zones, what I call skin twins, which is my term for places that are like Skinwalker Ranch. They're all over oh, yeah. the world. And if I could dedicate a show to interviewing witnesses that live on skin twins, uh, I would put that call out right now. Get a hold of me immediately at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. But Twin Peaks is one of those places. It's a skin twin. And mm -hmm. these places are all over the globe. And you've mentioned a, a couple of them. What do you think is one of the more interesting skin twins? Boy, um, well, it's interesting because, I mean, there are so many different ways of categorizing them, too. I know Sanderson called, I mean, not Skinwalker Ranch in particular, but he referred to them as vile vortices or um, the 12 Devil's Graveyards, these huge expanses of places that, um, you know, just had a really weird vibe and had weird things happen. I think probably the ultimate one for me would probably be the Molotov Pass in Russia, um, where that party of hikers yeah. uh, was yeah. killed under mysterious circumstances, just because there are so many, there's such a long history of sightings there. Um, people have avoided it for centuries, and then here you have this troop of hikers deciding just to walk through. Um, and that is, that's a case, too, that's really difficult to nail down, because it appears, and this is a little morbid, but it, it appears that the hikers did die kind of in waves, and the first ones were from um, hypothermia, 
which then sets the tone for the rest. People say, oh, it was just natural causes, but it really wasn't. There were actually um, marks of strange radiation um, on the bodies, and then some of them appeared to have been crushed from the inside with no external injuries. So I'd say that's probably top of my list just because it was such momentous Mm -hmm. um, loss of life um, under such strange circumstances. And there are still sightings of orbs and UFOs and things like that. Right. And um, there's an incredible three or four part series on uh, the pass itself. But I I guess I'm shocked to hear you say that, but you're absolutely right. It's such an incredible encounters so, so many mysterious things about that not to mention the fact that um it, it, the hikers were struggling to get out of their tents and yeah. most of most of the evidence seemed like they were trying to get away from something they were they were mm-hmm. barefooted when they were panicking yeah 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 there's just so much just something went so wrong so fast too it just i don't know it's kind of jarring yeah yeah, good choice. Yeah, the state of, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's really good. I mean, and I think that they've um, opened up this case again. I don't think that that's a, I think that's been reopened within the last couple mm-hmm. years. So I believe you're right on that. Yeah. New data coming in. And so you don't put a cryptid uh, as the murder weapon, is or do you? <laughs> um, no, not in that case. I see that is the, question of um you know cryptids or anything with the paranormal and you know um inflicting pain or death or harm or anything like that is you know it's not really anything that i a paranormal investigator really wants to think about um i feel because i'm just for me personally i'm just so excited about trying to find the thing i don't want to think about it then trying to kill me um but in that case too i feel like um and again as morbid as this is there's almost marks of similarities to cattle mutilations um and other animal mutilations in that area. Now, again, as far as UFOs or whatever is piloting UFOs being um, the cause of it, I'm not going to nail down that answer either. But No, you, you bring up a good point. In fact, um, the last podcast I released was with a philosopher by the name of Sonia Zohar. And, uh, you know, she's eager to get out to Skinwalker Ranch and visit. And I, I think one of the questions I posed to her is like, well, why, why doesn't that scare you? And um, she goes, well, because, you know, nothing's ever happened to those guys while they're yeah. out there. But you bring up a good mm-hmm. point that once in a while, if this is a skin twin that we're talking about, or what did you call it, a bio vortice, um, once in a while, people are treated like cattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is definitely an eerie thought. Now, have you ever seen a mutilation? Have you ever, if you're an active investigator for MUFON, did you ever go to a cattle mutilation at all? Nope, I never had a case like that, unfortunately. No. Um, I would definitely be interested in seeing one. So if anyone has a mutilated cow, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, of course I've seen you know photographs online and that is actually um, one of those things that you do need to be very careful with because um, you know, predatory birds and things like that, uh, just, you know, decay can appear like cattle mutilations, but then there are, you know, so many cases that are just completely outliers, such as when the animal has been dropped, you know, it's actually like hit the ground with some velocity and actually imprints itself into the ground. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe at Skinwalker Ranch, there were some that appeared to have like 
almost like pinking shear type patterns in the cuts. Mm-hmm. And of course, radiation is another thing that's present at some sightings, or if it's in conjunction with a UFO sighting or even a cryptid sighting. Um, these are all things that would really nail it down as, okay, this isn't just, you know, a cow died and then the decay set in and then birds pecked out its eyes. This is something else. Well, in, in typical Twin Peaks, you know, theme, there's an open-ended question here. What do you think is going on with mutilations in particular? If I had to really pin down an idea on that, I get the sense sometimes, and this maybe is a really hopeful way of looking at things, but I kind of get the sense that um, whatever is doing this is looking for something. And I know some people have even theorized that it might be government. Um, I'm not sure about that. If there are entities that are interested in us, they might be interested on the effects that they have on our organisms or on what's happening with our organisms. Because the interesting thing is a lot of the time the um, tissue that's taken from these bodies is that which would be useful for determining uh, radioactive a radioactive presence in the body. Um, so I don't know if maybe they are measuring to see if these things have been affected by some sort of radiation or what. Oh, I've never um, heard that. Yeah, it's typically, I can't remember exactly where I read this, but it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it's mainly organs that are easily affected by radiation mm-hmm. that are high on the list of being taken. One of the questions in Twin Peaks is um, an astrological question. When Jupiter and Saturn align, doorways open. Do you use uh, determining astrological symbols to do work? Are there times where you feel like that things are more active? I wish that I had the proper time to really like develop that theory because I do. I think that um, I think that astrology probably was a way better science some thousands of years ago. And this is an idea that I had that I also saw in Keel's work that, you know, it really, it doesn't mean anything if you're born with your son in Pisces. Um, it's just that at that time, there was a specific energetic or gravitational force which acted upon, you know, your DNA as it formed at the time um, of your forming. And so I think that there probably is something to it. I think that what we're working with now is definitely a much more blunt instrument than it was, you know, mm-hmm. when it was first um, developed. Um, but yeah, no, I just kind of have a casual interest in astrology currently, but I would definitely like to get to the point where I could actually, you know, potentially use it to see if, yeah, there are certain times where things peak or not. I know actually, and this is a weird thing. Um, our house was actually only owned by five families ever. It was the family who built it through 1905 and then this other family until the eighties. And the last guy of that family to live here apparently was really into horoscopes. And he, like, if, you know, he figured something out and it told him not to go out that day, he actually, he wouldn't go out. Mm -hmm. So apparently we had that living here in the 80s. So that's kind of interesting. (laughs) Another big theme, and it's the tagline to my podcast is, I will see you in the trees. It's how I'll end this broadcast as well. What do you think it is about the trees? Because there's certainly something there. I think for that, um, it kind of harkens back to the log lady, actually. It's this idea that um, there's memory or, you know, spirit, I guess you could say, in the world of Twin Peaks, kind of embedded in this living yet not considered alive substance of wood. Um, You know, it's interesting to note, too, that Harold Smith um, refused to leave his house, um, which was 
a log cabin, if I remember correctly, it was built out of wood. Um, and so I feel like there is something in Twin Peaks um, with this notion that memory and, you know, even a personality can be stored in the substance. So as we even right. saw with Josie's demise. Uh, did you say Josie? Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. Yeah, she's imbued in a drawer, wooden drawer knob. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And the character you talked about before, Harold Smith, was this mm, yeah. kind of uh, shut-in that was also the confidant, probably more of like the sexual liaison of Laura Palmer, I think, if I remember in the uh, in the diary. But um, there was definitely a relationship with many men and Laura. I don't know if Harold was one of them, but he was mm -hmm. a shut-in inside this little log cabin. And when he tried to leave, he would convulse. Uh, you know, he would just dwindle down to the fetal position. Yeah. 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 So I feel like definitely he viewed, I mean, not only just his home as, as suffering from agoraphobia, but possibly the very walls as protection from something that he had been, you know, exposed to through Laura. Yeah. And, you know, Laura, here we go. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about John Keel in this episode as well, because before Laura's death, before the eventual death of um, Annie Wilkes, who I I believe, I presume that she has died or she's trapped. Um, there are all these harbingers warning the town that something is going to unfold. So it's very much like the Mothman prophecies. Do you think they borrowed from Keel's work to make this in such a specific way? I've actually, I've tried to look for that connection. Mm -hmm. And so far I haven't found it, which only makes it weirder. Mm -hmm. um, and I personally started to wonder too, because I know that David Lynch is, as you mentioned earlier, very much into transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, if there might be some wavelength that Keel was researching, you know, from the conscious angle that potentially David Lynch picked up on subconsciously. Right. Um, is kind of what I'm wondering. Now, I've met David Lynch. Um, <gasps> Sorry. Yeah, I, I know, right? Oh I, I've met him. And then um, I don't know if I should spoil the beans here because she's an earshot. My girlfriend actually uh, met him too and auditioned for Firewalk with me, but didn't get the oh role because God. she didn't speak the right language. But um, yeah, so we both have a small connection to this world just by way of meeting hers more significantly than mine. Um, oh my she, she was actually working with him. But Everything I've ever heard about David is that he's so normal and quirky and kind and giving, but mm -hmm. there's a documentary about David Lynch's life, and it is quite uh, dark and depressing. Um, I, I was a little shocked by that. I didn't expect to hear that because um, if you ask me, he almost is has a bone to pick with reality because... Yeah. His version of reality was so not appreciated by both his parents. Oof. Yeah. Wow. That's, I know that, see, I've, I've listened to a few of his talks on TM or Transcendental Meditation. Mm -hmm. And I know that he mentioned that before he came across that he kind of had a hard time, I guess, with the world or with reality or with himself. Right. So, but yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, very, very incredible. Um, Through the dark of future's past, the magician longs to see. Now, if there is just a tagline in itself, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, it's such an incredible first line of anything dark talking to you. And there is absolutely this 
uh, sense of an enchantment or a spell beginning in the character Bob, who is just the incarnate of fire and evil and darkness, and he needs to be fed. He consumes goodness like a log in a fire. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the shadow, the darkness of it all. What, what have you worked on in your own private cases that uh, is maybe just too dark for you, you and you had to back out of it? Or what do you think of the shadow world and darkness in general in this work? Um, I've never really run it. Well, the only thing I ran across that really made me back away from anything like that um, was actually John Keel's The Eighth Tower. Um, I read it, I think, when I was like 17. And, you know, the concept, it is, it's all, like, not all the material, but it's a lot of the material that was removed from the Mothman prophecies. Mm -hmm. And it's when he really starts to nail down, um, you know, this idea of the superspectrum ultra-terrestrials. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like most of the book is kind of dealing with, like, the logic of it, you know, and trying to get past, okay, what if there are, like, I guess we could say worlds or a world outside of our own that coincides with our own. And that was really exciting to me. Right. But then... Right. As I mentioned, Keel, he did, he became very cynical of the phenomenon. And, you know, I was, I would say, pretty impressionable still at that age. And that was a lot for me to deal with, um, was him kind of trying to suggest and figure out why, you know, something would want to play games with us, what our purpose is and stuff in this massive charade. Mm -hmm. So that was the one thing that actually made me kind of back off for a little bit. Um, but since that time, you know, I don't know, I've kind of just grew out of it and was like, okay, well, moving on, let's see what's next. And so far, there really hasn't been anything that's given me pause. Um, I mean, you know, once you start getting into like, yeah, alien abductions, that's something that's, you know, has the potential to be incredibly dark, you know, and you want to know like, yeah, why are people mm -hmm. being taken, you know, seemingly normal people mm -hmm. having their lives interrupted and then they're not able to remember things. And, you know, so that's probably the other thing that like I recognize you know, how deep it can go, but I just, I'm to the point, I guess, where I just want to know. Right. He <laughs> so must have come to some kind of conclusion that there was something negative happening because if I'm to believe what Timothy Renner told me that uh, somebody asked him at a book signing, how do I have my own experiences? And Keel's response was mm -hmm. a little bit shocking. He said, why would you want to? Why would you yeah. want to have these experiences? And that that is not at all what he's writing in the beginning. It's it's a, an encouragement of, you know, the questioner to, to go yep. out and seek answers here. But here we go again with these great minds towards the end of their life, reevaluating like, you know, what do you think that is? Do you think that they felt as though they've wasted their life away looking into a, this, you know, something like sand going through their hands? <laughs> That, I guess, probably is my deepest fear is like, you know, you spend so much time looking into the stuff and trying to figure it out. And it does get to the point where it just kind of seems like it's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that probably is what you see a lot with people who try and, I mean, and this isn't even the paranormal. This is like any of life's great mysteries, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, you do, you see that a lot. Um, but I don't know, I guess for me, I'm just going to keep on looking, I suppose. <laughs> Right. And the log lady is a little bit like that. She's jaded by mm -hmm. mystery. She's seen so much of it. She kind of looks at the rest of the characters as doofuses. Uh, she's yeah. resentful about a whole host of things, but it seems like she's more resentful at her weight of having to deal with the truth, the, mm -hmm. hidden, the hidden truth. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, mm. I know the last episodes too, when she was kind of checking in, you know, once an episode, that was just like, that was like, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And like those portions of the later episodes are just, you know, awesome. But in a way, too, as soon as it got like near the end, it was kind of hard to watch. And I know the weird thing, too, is that um, that actress and a lot of Twin Peaks um, actors and actresses, it seems, died shortly after her role was up, um, which is just another really weird. Yeah, really let's go weird through the things. list of characters who have died from the show. Major characters, first of all, her and then yeah. Jack, Jack Nance, right, uh, who played... Uh, mm, yep kind of like this, uh, the little dim, dimwit that uh, was yeah. uh, just kind of lurking in the background. But he also he was, was the eraser head, right? Oh, right, right. And he was yeah. in a lot of David Lynch movies. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was in Dune. He was in Blue Velvet. Um, I'm sure he was in a couple others, a Wild at Heart. Um, so he was in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin characters, obviously still alive. But Bob, yeah. uh, Frank Silva, the actor who I think at that time was just, and far uh, installed as like uh, the production side of things. Yes, he got trapped in a room, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. He was basically trapped inside one of the shots that was going on and kind of ducking out of view. And through Mm -hmm. David's brilliance, discovered one of the main characters who was just a hired hand. Yeah, that's that's right. I know, I think he was like in... um, he was setting up the set and like someone accidentally, you know, moved a piece of furniture or something in front of the exit. And so they were already rolling. He was like, right. And I think one yeah. of the, one of the camera guys walked up to David and said, sorry, David, we got to reshoot it. Frank was in the shot and David saw this photo or this still of Frank mm-hmm. Silva with this long gray hair and just his eyes peeking out like, Oh, that's, that's what we've been waiting for. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. It's so cool. Now, people that are listening to this, I mean, you, you hear us describing this. How in the world are you sitting on your butt right now, not downloading this on Netflix? I mean, we're giving you gems here. Um, it is. It's like <laughs> indescribable, really, in its totality. Right. It's just really something. Um, I don't know what exactly, but it's something. <laughs> right. So yeah, the the uh, the the arm or the midget is dead. Um, gosh. David Bowie, too, who was just in Firewalk with me, but was supposed to reprise his role, you know, of course. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And instead of David Bowie, they have a seven-foot large, seven-foot tall teapot (laughs) (laughs) or something like that, right? later thing, yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Right. Yeah. And if you ask me, that teapot looked a lot like the Nazi bell, which I don't know, you know what Mm -hmm. that is? Oh, yes. Right. Which also looked a lot like the Kexpert UFO. Yes, yes, yep. yeah. So there again, I mean, smuggling little bits of pop culture paranormal into the show, but just enough to wonder where reality breaks off and this incredible show uh, ends and begins. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, season three, for people that don't know, it ended uh, with our main star of the show, Dale Cooper, being trapped in this place called the Black Lodge and the doppelganger getting out. And so in season three, we start up from that point and we find out that that is the case. But for the Mm -hmm. most part, season three was a heartbreaker for me because I felt as though David Lynch, uh, more so than probably Mark Frost and probably way more so than the actors, 
mm-hmm. I felt as though he was mocking my treasure. <laughs> he was yeah. he was just stepping all over the grave of all of the characters and the concepts and the beauty of mm-hmm. that world. What do you think of that? I do think that it was kind of, well, because like I said, it was really weird because you would have these high points on the episodes where he was just kind of using them for his vision. And um, episode eight is definitely like strictly that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then around it, you did have these kind of caricatures of what Twin Peaks was. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I definitely see that. And I don't know if that was, I know he had a lot of resentment, I guess, about it, like having to release who really killed Laura Palmer. Mm -hmm. Um, He never wanted to answer that question. And season two was um, apparently a lot of artistic license was taken from him. So I don't know if that was kind of a response to that um, or what, because he had complete creative control of season three, didn't he? As far as I know, in fact, you can find some of the um, YouTube clips of him in board meetings getting incredibly irritated because he's supposed to have full creative control. And yet there's still deadlines. There's still a union Mm. involved. There's still, you know, rules that apply to a mad magician. And he doesn't like it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that being the case. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so the tidbit. Uh, I'll play like the just just in new information coming across the board here. Looks like perhaps Twin Peaks Part Four might be in the filming. There was a location scout spotted. Did you hear that gasp on the other end of the phone? I'm so sorry. That was an audible gasp. It looks as though there was a location scout on site at the R and R diner. Uh, basically measuring the blinds. So I don't know this for sure, but um, I think season three was a big enough hit that uh, I think the story may go on. Oh my gosh. See, I have heard so many rumors about it that it got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to torture myself anymore. Right. If it'll happen, if it happens. But that is, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember how top secret, you know, season three was totally... Right. Yeah. But now you have someone with boots on the ground, right? And so that's like I said, about an hour and a half from my door. Um, so oh my God. one of the locals was like on the North Bend uh, Facebook page and said, you know, movie van spot at the R and R diner. Now could oh, it be a, any show in particular? Sure. Other shows have filmed there, including that Jeff Bridges show with Sandra Bullock called The Vanishing that was shot there, uh, which is actually a really good show. If nobody's seen that one, go check out uh, Sandra Bullock and Kiefer Sutherland, Jeff Bridges in The Vanishing. It's very eerie. Jeff Bridges is usually not super creepy, but um, <laughs> you just usually picture him as the dude sipping on a Kahlua. But this is super creepy. So that's a side note. But yeah, I think that there is uh, some new filming beginning. Oh my gosh. And so my hope is that somebody from uh, the production team will hear this podcast because they'll they'll look the word Twin Peaks up and strange and they'll find this podcast and I'll, I'll make sure uh, make sure to put this in the subject line but please save us save us all the trouble of complaining about what happened in season three and own up to the fact that uh, you know you could do better. I mean, you showed us what you could do in episode eight. You you gave yeah, us episode yeah. eight, and I'm internally grateful for episode eight. But 
Yeah. And we have to fix some things here. Um, let's talk just briefly about episode eight. Uh, one of the phenomena going on uh, through uh, another podcast, Strange Familiars podcast with Timothy Renner and author, friend of mine, Sig Sigurdsson, who wrote a book called Cultus and another book called Cowslip, is the idea of a harbinger of a woodsman. And this is all throughout mm -hmm. Twin Peaks, the guardian, oh, yeah. the woodsman. Uh, it was the first image I ever saw of a bearded man in plaid mm -hmm. inside of this strange, you know, dreamlike world. Have you ever come across this before? Did Keel write about this? The man in plaid? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, yes. That is actually, um, that is a really, really common um, entity that people observed. And it's, again, it's one of those things, too, where you get with, with the paranormal. It's like there's a few things that it's like, okay you know, we can kind of, it's weird, but we can accept it. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things where it's almost absurd. And right. in my opinion, the man in plaid kind of falls into that because not only do you have the man in plaid, but for some reason plaid is across the board. It's been observed on UFO occupants. Um, people have claimed to see, um, and this is where the man wolf gets into kind of murky waters. People have claimed to see kind of like, you know, werewolf style man wolves wearing these plaid shirts. Um, Bigfoot as well has been observed in it. And so the question is, what is it about plaid? Um, another common one is uh, bedroom visitants. You know, a lot of people think of the classic like night hag phenomenon or um, the kind of monks in robes as these nighttime visitants. But a man in a plaid or checkered shirt is actually one of the most commonly cited entities, even in situations like that. So yeah, it's definitely, it's an icon in this field. Yeah, but I, I was so unaware of that at the time. And it's such a strange I mean, uh, image of, is it the, I mean, the idea that something's wearing a tartan or a plaid yeah. design on them, what would the connection be? Because if you get into, I don't know if you grabbed a copy of Mark Frost's book, Welcome to Twin Peaks, not so much the latter one for season three, but there was a smaller one that was almost like a you know, a dime, dime store book. It, it's a, oh, that's cool. It's a very uh, rare book these days. I'm sure you can find it on eBay. Uh, he writes, I though, I have season three of them, Yeah, he yeah. writes inside this book about the Scottish rites and about, um, mm -hmm. he goes to Scotland quite a bit in some of his iconic, uh, some of his images that he uses. And yeah. the tartan is one of those things that uh, he smuggles into the language there. So there must be something to this. I have wondered about that because I know when you come across these sightings, it's like, what is the deal with plaid? Like it could be any other pattern, but mm -hmm. it's not, it's a plaid or checkered shirt. And the thing that I've come to two conclusions on it. Um, and of course, I'm sure there's probably something I'm totally missing, but the first one being that having an actual tartan denotes a family, you know, an origin. Mm -hmm. So there's the question then of, are these entities kind of claiming then that they belong somewhere, they belong to something, you know. Then again, too, um, and this is in line with um, actually the men in black, plaids, of course, are just intersections, you know, crossroad mm -hmm. patterns. And this is a huge icon in the paranormal field. I mean, not just from the crossroads, which of course is, it features prominently not only in the occult, but actually UFOs um, have often been spotted over crossroads. But the men in black also often wear these cross-type designs. 
So is this kind of just like a statement of this um, intersection almost, mm -hmm. you know, of like oh, different right. planes or different fields? Yeah, I see what you That's mean. Kind like of, there's a coded yeah. message in the lines yes, themselves. Yeah. That's kind of what I wonder about the plaid because what else could it, you know, symbolize? That's really I mean, brilliant. Did you come up with that? Yeah. That's really good. No, that's that's <laughs> Thank super you. cool. Yeah. It's it's always bothered me. Why the plaid? Mm. You know, and two men in black showing up wearing crosses. Mm. It just you know, it's very strange. So Yeah. Yeah, now you got my head spinning. Uh never thought of that before. That's really interesting way to possibly tie in meaning behind that rather than just like a screen memory of guys that you would accept rather than yeah, seeing exactly. a gray. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it just, it's another detail that comes up so often. And I just, cause so often too, with these, again, these absurd sort of encounters, mm -hmm. you have to wonder if this is a mask, what is it meaning to represent? What is it trying to convey? And considering that those, this idea of intersection would be so important in this, um, unified field theory of the paranormal, this super spectrum idea. Mm -hmm. I just kind of have to wonder if that's what it means. Right. Well, and now in Twin Peaks, the woodsmen or the guardians are harbingers of, of such. What do you think that they're harbingers of? My personal theory on the woodsmen um, ties in actually to um, the role of yeah, trees or wood in Twin Peaks, because of course, um, they, I'm assuming, would chop down trees. And so if we're kind of tying in this idea that um, wood or wood grain or trees can contain memory or even like the essence of a person or a soul, it's almost like they're chopping that down. You know, they're changing it into something else would be my initial response to them. And also the fact that they keep asking for a light um, you know, fire, again, is very important, and it's kind of the antithesis. It will eat mm -hmm. the trees, it eats the wood. So that would be my idea about the woodsman, is something that kind of cuts down and consumes human essence or memory. And let's let's say this whole spell out loud here, because I gave people a teaser, but the whole line from um, Bob's cohort, cohort the one-armed man, um, and there's something about arms in particular, regarding Twin Peaks, but the whole line in particular is through the dark, a future's past. Future past. You go ahead and say the, that, the whole yeah. The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds, fire walk with me. Right, and then it goes on about, I will catch you in my death bag. You think I've gone insane, but I promise you I will kill again. Now, I don't necessarily think that the last part of that limerick counts as much as the last line fire walk with me what do you yeah. think that that line actually represents i feel like fire walk with me um kind of represents the ability back to the shadow self to walk with that destructive nature that you know theoretically human beings can contain both sides and i feel like laura palmer was kind of the marriage of this she tried to bring the shadow self into her light self, into her, you know, conscious mind, and unfortunately was pretty much unable to take it, um, because probably of all that kind of rested on her, which was revealed, I feel, in um, episode eight of season three. Um, but I feel like the phrase firewalk with me, I guess it's kind of, you know, a double-sided coin there, because you can take it to mean, you know, walking with and living with the shadow self, you know, mm -hmm. containing it, or you can take it to mean embodying it and releasing it and you know living that 
kind of on the world. So the destructive and constructive nature of man is kind of how I take it, I suppose. Just like in season eight, where it starts off with the atom bomb exploding. Mm -hmm. That's what my brain's doing right now, as you're describing all these brand new theories. So good job. That's Thank you. <laughs> these, are, these are good notions. Um, I've heard a lot of talks about Twin Peaks, and they're not equaling this bar here. So keep it up. You should write a, you should have a blog about this. Uh, go deeper. I just started a blog, so Did you? I guess maybe it'll, it'll be my next post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this has been Thank fun. Thank you. That's that's my praise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, I'm talking with Zelia Edgar and her website, her blog, her future book. Uh, I hope is called Hopefully, just yes. another tinfoil hat. Um, I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more of her in the future. And um, I just really appreciate you coming on and nerding out with me. This was a podcast uh, mainly meant for me. <laughs> and if other people want to enjoy it, I hope they do. I think that you gave a lot to the audience to think about. And I, I hope that they download this one and share it. Well, thank you. And honestly, I was, I was so excited when you mentioned Twin Peaks, I couldn't believe it. So, and again, perfect timing too, to tie in with um, synchronicity. It was yeah, just crazy. So. Now, is there anything that you want to push uh, before we end here? Any projects you're working on? Anything uh, future? Um, I'm just constantly making, um, yeah, I'm constantly making new YouTube videos. Um, should have one up by tomorrow on biological UFOs. Um, okay. So that's going to be on my YouTube channel, Just Another Tinfoil Hat. And um, yeah, I just had an article on the e-magazine Ultimate Perceptions um, called Knit Caps and Coveralls, the Issue of UFO Occupant Clothing. So I'm really excited about that. That's the second article I've ever had um, in e-print. So like I'm really that. excited about that. E.T. Fashion. <laughs> Break oh, yes. the ground. That's awesome. Yes. A very uh, often overlooked portion of their right. thing. Enough yeah. of the spandex industry getting all the love. We want to <laughs> we talk about the tartans. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, but yeah, just constantly making new videos. Hopefully I'll have a podcast coming up yeah. here soon. Really excited about that. Um, so, and then I guess I'm going to co-host with Steve Ward on his podcast, High Strangeness Factor, at some point coming up here. So, well, hey, yeah, that's all. You send us out to break here, and uh, if you could just say, I will see you in the trees, we will end this broadcast, and I appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're and right. I will see you in the trees. Again, that was Zelia Edgar of Just Another JustAnotherTinfullHat.com. I absolutely believe you'll be hearing a lot more from her. Someone who is going to snatch her up, broker a deal, convince her to do something, a pilot, a book, a series. I don't know, but it's, uh, I think it's Zelia, Zelia's strange world and we're just living in it. Commanded the issues, blew my mind, and that's hard to do, at least harder to do these days. And especially after this weekend. So let's talk about what happened. On December 4th, I get an Al Moon phone call <laughs> or text, typically a Facebook message with an image or a comment or a sound from property owner Daryl Adams. His name's already out there. You've heard the story. And if not, you can find out more about it, listen to previous episodes like the initial episode or episode 37 or Strange Familiars episode called um, Al Moon Echoes or something like that. And so... 
I'm assuming you know the story. Regardless, I went down from Washington to Oregon to an area I'd researched previously uh, in regards to some Sasquatch, typical Sasquatch-styled behavior, including trackways leading to a potluck of food that Daryl Adams had been leaving out in the Umpqua National Forest. No game cams, not hunting, just seeing what would happen, what would tran transpire. And something did transpire. They, they pulled a track out, uh, a rather large one. I'd say it's about 16 inches, about five and a half to six inches wide, very deep. Uh, I think that track was around three inches deep and uh, what I would call very hard forest floor. And I was on my way down there. I had some family business, uh, post-Thanksgiving business to take care of. And so I had a five-hour window thereabouts to go see what had all taken place above the Al Moon Lab proper, less than, I'll say, three miles from where all the strange happenings occurred. And so with audio in hand and video in hand and plaster in hand, the weirdness ensued. So if you would like to see what transpired, you can do that. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, that's Strange Brow Radio, B-R-A-U. And it is the last video we just uploaded a couple hours ago on Sunday. I believe today is indeed the 8th of December. So that is available. Excuse my pen dropping. And um, yeah, let me know what you think. We uh, had some strange happenings. Um, let me just address one of those strange happenings. One of the things that happened while we were on site, just Daryl and I, was there was three wood knocks. Now, I cannot tell you how distinct these three wood knock sounds were, only to tell you now that they were less than 75 yards. So if you know a football field, uh, take three quarters of it and take a Louisville slugger in the open forest and hit a piece of dry fur bark as hard as you can and that's how close this was to both of our backsides on a separate side of a ridge so i wanted to clear that up i don't know if that was abundantly clear also a great amount of the editing that happened there it was kind of a run and gun shoot so shaky camera footage good audio um you know it's 4k video but uh, no gimbal no tripod pouring plaster collecting hair samples uh, walking through timber. So a little shaky, uh, the audio's there, and then uh, uh, some of the editing happened uh, on my phone. So <laughs> typing on a keyboard on your phone, trying to spell out uh, graphics uh, and lay the scene gets a little bit punch drunk as far as the punctuation. So forgive me for all those incidental things. I think we can move on. One thing I can assure you is that these tracks were not made by anyone that we typically know. <laughs> Let's put it that way. We know of the Bigfoot activity. It seems fairly, uh, it seems impossible that someone would have done those wood knocks in broad daylight at 12 o'clock noon, 75 yards away from us on a ridge we just came down from on a nice blue sky day or the other weirdness that ensued there. So the tracks, in my opinion, because of those two very specific things and the four or five hairs that were grabbed out of there not to mention these five giant footprints about four inches deep in the forest floor uh i count as being most likely legitimate 
if I were to say one through a hundred, I would say, gosh, I'd put them up close to 90%, 95%. Can't just go all the way with this stuff, unfortunately. Didn't see anything yet, once again. I did leave a little treasure behind, a, a woven, I guess you'd call it like a woven monocle <laughs> out of uh, three different reeds I found in a, in a wetlands and hung that near an interesting X-stick structure. So it's got it all. It's got apports or deports. It's got wood knocks. It's got hair samples. Oh, my. So if that's, your, if that's how you want to spend your Sunday or your Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, it will be up there in perpetuity. All right. I think that is it. We have our, oh, we have our January 4th or 5th Secrets of the Sasquatch. Indeed, that is happening at Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. And that is going to be on the 4th from 7 to 10 p.m., a free show with researcher Mary Bethune. Go on to strangebowradio.com to find out more about Mary free show. Uh, she's just got a lot of uh, interesting paranormal investigations, happenings uh, that she's looked into all these years. And so I'm going to be sitting with her in the castle going over her life's work. And that will be a good thing. Again, that's January 4th at Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. Book a room. Also a sponsor, manresacastle.com. And one last thing here. Oh, I had mentioned previously that there are some dates that we will be speaking. You can go on to our Facebook page. I'll make sure to put those on strangebrout.com. But mostly, thank you for listening. And if you would like to be a guest or have an encounter of your own, you can do that. Shoot me an email if you don't want to come on out here and talk. You can do that at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to be a guest, which is always a good thing for someone doing a podcast. Uh, shoot me a Facebook message. Uh, you can find me on uh, Strange Brow Radio on Facebook or just type in Tobe Johnson, T-O-B-E. Or you can shoot me a message at strangebrowradio at gmail.com and tell me your story and I will call you up and we will talk about all things unusual. That's the show. I appreciate all the patron members. Remember, you can join patron, be a Patreon member, all that good stuff at patreon.com forward slash strange brow radio extra content extra video and some new cool stuff coming in 2020 and that's it for the show i will see you in the trees